Good evening, everyone. Good to see all of you here this evening. For those of you that are here with us on campus, it's, it's wonderful to see your smiling faces. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we can't see your smiling faces, but we trust that you're smiling, and we're glad that you tuned in tonight. I want to give just a few announcements this evening before Pastor comes. First of all, 21 Days of Sacrifice continues. We'll be ending that on Sunday, January 23rd. Just a few more days. Hang in there. And then on Sunday, January 23rd, we'll also be having a blood drive, and there is a sign-up sheet available in Grand Central. So if you are able and capable of giving blood, um, please go by Grand Central and sign up for that. And then finally, we want to remind you that on Thursday, February 3rd, we'll have our Kids Crusade here uh, Thursday evening at 730. Our guest speakers will be Brother Steve Cannon and Daniel Gums, and that's going to be a great time for our whole church, but especially for our kids. And as uh, was mentioned this past Sunday, the thrust of that is to see our kids pray through to the Holy Ghost. And so we definitely want to be here, support them, not just with our prayers, but also with our presence here. And uh, just make that a very exciting and spirit-filled environment. So please be here if you can. And as always, you can stay up to date with things going on here at Grace Church via the church app or by clicking on the events tab of our webpage. Amen. Look at your favorite neighbor. Tell them, hey, I'm glad to see you tonight. Yeah. Now, I want you to really, like, really look at them. Stare, stare deep in their eyes and tell them, I'm glad you're a part of the family. Amen. Amen. It's a great to be a part of the family and kingdom of God. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. Greetings, everyone. Glad to see y'all here tonight, as always, on Wednesday night, and thank you all so very much for coming, and uh, what a great, great time we had here Sunday. The blessing of the Lord was so rich and powerful here Sunday. I am just, just so thankful uh, for God's consistency, for his dependability, for uh, being so very kind, so very patient, and uh, blessing us with such a rich and wonderful outpouring of the Holy Ghost this, this past Sunday. And there were some amazing things that happened this past Sunday that I'm so thankful for that is uh, affirmation to me personally that God has our church on the right track and uh, things are going very, very well. Um, I'm still just over my, out, out of my mind um, with our youth group. I'm so thankful for just such a, a great number of, of teenagers that, that love God like they do. And uh, we've left here two Sundays in a row with at least two of our young people still in the altar when we left. And we leave generally when the, the sanctuary is just about empty. You just don't know what that means. And I, I know the parents of these young people are just incredibly thankful uh, to see their kids having such a great interest and uh, a moving of the Spirit of the Lord in them personally. And I'm going to be anxious to find out what happened uh, in these altar sessions that our young people are having with God. Who knows what God is calling them, asking them to do. 
and I'm very thankful, very, very thankful for that. And everybody said amen. I want to teach for a little while tonight on a, it's a subject that is obviously largely misunderstood in our current culture, in our current religious culture. Uh, it is grossly misunderstood. I want to read my scripture setting, and then I'll, I want to talk to you about the standard or the law of liberty, the standard of liberty. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, he said, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, when God gives you liberty through the power of his spirit, that doesn't give you a license to sin and do whatever you want. Just because you're living in liberty doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want. <clears throat> so he said, not to, you do not use liberty for an occasion to the flesh or to sin, to be carnal, etc. But by love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm going to say this now, and I'll remind you of it again in a moment. As I teach this Bible study, I know we have some, our, our young folks are in here tonight, but uh, most people in here tonight are married or have been married. And uh, I think most of us, even our, our, our young folks in here tonight, understand that when you get married, um, you're not at liberty to do whatever you want when you get married. As a matter of fact, when you get married, you submit yourself to more rules. It, it, it really hurts me when, when people say to me that I just, I don't want to serve God anymore because I can't do all the rules anymore. It's not rules. No matter than being married and faithful to your spouse is rules. It's something you agree to because that's what the relationship requires. So as I teach this tonight, I would like for all of you, and I'm going to remind you of it again about halfway through, uh, to use marriage as a comparison to what I'm going to teach tonight. Some have called this uh, liberty. We, we enjoy liberties in our country that a lot of countries, most countries around the world do not enjoy. Uh, there's liberties, there's freedoms, there's things that we can do in this country that a lot of people in other countries cannot do for one reason or another. But this liberty tonight that I'm going to talk about, some have suggested that it be the fifth freedom. And I'll talk to you about that in just a second. At the close of an important speech to Congress on January the 6th, 1941, President Franklin D. Roosevelt shared his vision of the kind of world he wanted to see after World War II was over. He envisioned in that speech in 1941 four basic freedoms that all people who lived in America should enjoy. One was a freedom of speech. One was a freedom of worship. One was a freedom from want. The other was a freedom from fear. To some degree, these freedoms have been achieved on a wider scale than in 1941. But our world still needs another freedom 
And that is what I made reference to a moment ago, a fifth freedom. Man needs to be free from himself and the tyranny of his sinful nature. That's the fifth freedom that Roosevelt didn't mention. That's that man needs to be free from himself and the tyranny of his sinful nature. The battle for freedom was the central matter in the life of Paul in the New Testament. With fervency, white hot in nature, Paul addresses the subject of Christian liberty in his letter to the Galatians that we just read, part of it. To him, to Paul, Christianity was essentially emancipation. And Jesus Christ was first of all the great emancipator. The fight for liberty stands among the supreme struggles of the human race. Sometimes they have to do with political liberty and glow with the light of many a heroic charge and the patient courage of many a long campaign. Sometimes they have to do with moral and spiritual freedom and tell the tale of the lonely human spirit struggling with the supreme matters of destiny. Sometimes they have to do with the freedom of the mind and lead us to great libraries where in bloodless conflict, daring scholars and thinkers win the rights of the uncoerced intellect. In all these fields, we read the tale with glowing enthusiasm and as we read, we come to feel more and more the majesty of freedom. The English statesman and humanitarian William Wilberforce lived 1759 to 1833, was a prominent abolitionist or anti-slavery leader. In 1788, and if this is in England, not America, in 1788 and 1789, he worked diligently to have a law passed in the House of Commons to abolish the practice of slavery. And it failed, he failed to get it passed. William Wilberforce would reintroduce the bill every year through the 1790s. On February the 23rd, 1807, Parliament voted overwhelmingly in favor of abolition of the slave trade. During the debate, Sir Samuel Romilly spoke against slavery. His speech concluded with a long and emotional tribute to Wilberforce in which he contrasted the peaceful happiness of Wilberforce in his bed with the tortured sleeplessness of the guilty Napoleon Bonaparte. Romilly's biographer would later write of that glorious night. He said, Wilberforce was overcome by the power of Romilly's concluding passages and sat with his, face, his head on his hands, tears streaming down his face, and as Romilly reached his final sentences, the house broke into one of those scenes that it reserves for great occasions. Members stood and cheered him tumultuously. On January the 23rd, 1833, the Emancipation Bill received its final commons reading. Thank God, William Ribbeforce said, that I have lived to witness a day in which England is willing to give 20 million sterling for the abolition of slavery. 
Three days later, three days later on July the 29th, 1833, William Wilberforce died. The men who make way for freedom do not always receive such public recognition, but they serve one of the supreme causes in all of the world. Paul writes to the Galatians, you were called for freedom. You were called for the purpose of freedom. And indeed, his whole career was a succession of campaigns for the moral and spiritual liberation of the human spirit. The achievement of liberty, however, is not the end, but only the beginning of a very far journey. Christian liberty, to be certain, biblical Christianity is not a life of bondage, but one of liberty. This liberty does not, however, eliminate the call to holiness as so many now believe. So there are three aspects to Christian liberty. I want you again to kind of run this through the funnel of marriage, of being married as you hear this presentation tonight. There's three aspects to Christian liberty. Number one is Christian liberty is the freedom not to sin. It's the freedom not to sin. There are people that believe. I know somebody today, tonight, that believes that it's okay to sin all week as long as you go to church and repent the following Sunday. The person has said that. But Christian liberty is the freedom not to sin. It's a liberty given to recipients of the Holy Ghost not to sin. This automatically means submission to God's will since the two are mutually exclusive. The exor to exercise Christian liberty means to break free from sin's bondage, which means to obey and serve God what it means, which in turn means to serve righteousness and holiness and to bear fruit unto holiness according to, the, to Romans chapter 6 verses 15 through 23. The second aspect to Christian liberty is Christian liberty is freedom from the law. We'll explain. God has not abolished all of the Old Testament law, as we've taught here many times. He's not abolished all of the Old Testament law. For example, the moral law of God, which is essentially, I'll just say this very generally, is the Ten Commandments. God didn't abolish that. It's still a sin to steal, to lie, to cheat, to commit adultery, all of those sins. It's still a sin to do that. What the infilling of the Holy Ghost does is gives you the power to stop that. It's a liberty from sinning. It's a liberty not to sin. So Christians are free from the Old Testament law in several ways. First of all, we are free from the penalty of the law, which is death. Does anybody here tonight remember what happened under the Old Testament law if you were caught in the act of adultery? You were executed. If 
if you were caught stealing, if you were, uh, a lot of things brought to you the penalty of death. We don't have that problem anymore. But because God took away the penalty of death from these moral sins, doesn't give us a license to commit them. Does everybody understand that? I think this makes sense. I don't know. I, I hope all of you do. What happened and what makes this happen for us is the death and crucifixion of Jesus. It was a substitution. He took the penalty for what should be happening to us for committing some of these sins. He took that penalty. Everybody said amen. So therefore, the law has no more power to condemn the believer. As far as the law of Moses is concerned, its requirement for judgment and death and all of these penalties and all that stuff was satisfied in the death of Jesus by the death of one man, the New Testament teaches. So we are free from the attempt to fulfill the law by human effort alone. We're also free from the destructive power of the law caused by man's abuse of the law. By that we mean the law which was good in itself actually became a harmful force because men erroneously relied on it for justification and therefore rejected faith in Christ. We're free from ceremonial law. I thank God, I have thanked God a million times that we don't have to come here once in a while and sacrifice a sheep. I'm glad you don't have to bring pigeons and whatever else here with you this coming Sunday to sacrifice for your sin. We're free from that. This is the liberty from the law that I'm talking about. There's a lot of things that were just unbelievable that, that people of the Old Testament had to do to fulfill their relationship with God. And even at that, it still lacked in saving them and redeeming them. It still had a lot of holes in it, if you will. But when Jesus died on the cross, that one act alone freed us or gave us liberty from all these unbelievable requirements. Do you think there's rules now? They had about 618 of those back in the Old Testament. And you messed up on any one of them. It was, did everybody hear me tonight? We are free in non-moral matters. By that we mean that Christians can participate in an activity that does not violate biblical teaching. I could go off on a, a, a down a rabbit hole right here, but I'm not. We have the liberty of individual judgment, meaning that we have the freedom to follow our own conscience in morally neutral areas such as eating of meat and observance of certain days. Old Testament people were required to do all this stuff, uh, you couldn't eat certain meats in front of people. As a matter of fact, you couldn't eat certain meat at all. If you were a Jew, you couldn't eat crawfish. And if you were a Jew in the Old Testament, you couldn't eat catfish. Thank God. I ate catfish last night. Hallelujah. And shrimp for that matter. Rather than judging others in these personal areas... We are to be true to our own convictions and not judge others. Jesus' death at Calvary and subsequently our conversion based on Acts chapter 2, we're not given a liberty 
to judge other people because now that we have Jesus on the inside of us. Finally, Christian liberty does not negate the responsibility to obey scriptural teaching. And a lot of people believe that. There's things in the Bible that are written black and white that there's people that believe that doesn't apply to me. I believe God is okay with me like I am. So just because the law was done away with doesn't mean the Bible was done away with. And there's still scripture in the Old Testament that's still applicable to us today. So just because we have Christian liberty, it does not negate the responsibility that has been given to us to obey what the Word of God teaches us to obey. Everybody said amen. I hope you're with me tonight. Neither does it eliminate the responsibility to follow godly leaders when they apply biblical principles of holiness to contemporary issues that we all face here today. In Acts 15, and I'm going to read the New Living Translation, verse 28, the Bible said, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. Now, I'll give you context for this. The apostles had a big knockdown drag out in Acts 15. And all these Gentiles now were praying through the Holy Ghost. And they weren't Jewish people. And as far as Jewish people were concerned, they had the market on God. And God didn't really even have the freedom to step outside the Jewish people and fill anybody with the Holy Ghost. But God gave Peter a vision. I may be speaking a little bit about that this coming Sunday. And corrected that. And now all these Gentiles were receiving the Holy Ghost. And all these Jewish people, these stalwart religious Jewish people, were wanting to impose all this Jewish teaching on these Gentiles. And the Gentile people thought they were crazy. And I understand that. So they came together, they, the, the apostles met, and they told the Gentile people that we're not going to lay any a greater burden on you than these few requirements. They asked them, against the backdrop of the law of Moses, to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you do well and fare well. In Hebrews 13, 17 the Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So there's still things, there's still things in place in the Bible that we're still accountable to, that God still wants us to obey. So just because you enjoy Christian freedom, he who the sun sets free is free indeed, that kind of thing, that doesn't mean that you're free to do whatever you want to do whenever you feel like doing it. That's not what scripture means. We've been given liberty from the law of Moses and from sinning repetitively over and over and over. A liberty not to sin. <clears throat> the Bible gives four guidelines for the proper exercise of Christian liberty in non-moral matters. A Christian should do all according to the scripture. You should do all to God's glory. Your lifestyle should be lived to the glory of God. To make God look good. To avoid anything that's not beneficial to you, to the kingdom. In other words, to live a very moderate life. We teach that here. Don't be a glutton. Don't go buck wild in some crazy direction, whatever. Um, the Christian should abstain from things detrimental to him physically, mentally, or spiritually. The Bible teaches these things. He should lay aside every weight or hindrance as well as outright sin according to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Third, the Christian should avoid anything. The Christian that has been liberated by the power of God should avoid anything 
that will gain dominance in his life. Anything habit forming, anything that your desires takes you, a place that your desires takes you to that you shouldn't go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the person must not become addicted to anything, allowing it to rob him of energy, time, or money. In other words, stay away from anything that interferes. Stay away from anything that interferes with your relationship with God. And that statement does not, is not based on your opinion. It's based on what the Word of God teaches. So you may say, well, Brother Murphy, I can do this or that, and if I don't do it very much, then, you know, I'm okay, and it really won't hurt my relationship with God. It's not based on your opinion. It's based on what the Bible teaches, and we need to understand that. And a lot of people, are, they're going, we're kind of going back to the book of Judges in a lot of ways in our modern religious society where people do what's right in their own eyes, and that's not scriptural. The Bible has never taught that to be right, and especially the New Testament doesn't uh, teach that to be right. So uh, you, you don't determine what impacts your relationship with God or not. No more than in marriage, as a spouse, do you determine what's good for your relationship or not. You have to consider your spouse. You have to consider your husband or wife, right? Now, you can tell them, no, what I'm doing ain't hurting our marriage, but it ain't totally left up to you. So if you say, I'm doing this or that, but it's not really hurting my relationship with God, why don't you ask God if it's hurting the relationship or not? And he will direct you to the Bible or to pastoral teaching. And that's what we need to understand tonight. I hope you're grabbing this. I'm not, I don't have a lot of voice even left over from Sunday. I'd love to be preaching this. But just because I'm not screaming in a microphone, so to speak, doesn't mean that it's not any less valid and true. The Christian must avoid harming others. A Christian must stay away from things that cause someone else to stumble. So as you can see tonight, even liberty has its limits. In America, with all of our freedoms, we still have laws. I can't go rob a bank tomorrow just because I think that's okay. I can't do that. Let's bring it back to the marriage thing. I can't go be with another female tomorrow and just tell Sister Murphy deal with it. I'm not free to do that. When I married her, I made a commitment to be faithful unto her. <clears throat> so you can see a lot of the liberties that a person would enjoy in, in marriage, particularly in intimacy. Just because you have that freedom in marriage doesn't mean you have that freedom everywhere else. Does that make sense to everybody here tonight? So when Christ sets you free, he sets you free from the bondage of sin, not to sin. So some erroneously believe that this freedom means they're no longer, they, they, they no longer have to be responsible for their actions. But scripture teaches us in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, be not deceived. I want all of our young people to listen to this verse. When I read it as a young teenager, y'all's age, it's like God branded this into my head, and I still think of this all the time in my life personally. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's the law of the sower. So if you do stupid stuff, if you sow stupid stuff, you're going to reap stupid stuff. Everybody feel me here tonight? It's that simple. If you do dumb stuff, you're going to get dumb stuff back. You just will. 
It's a Bible principle that has not changed. So our text begins with the, the last section of Galatians. And up until now, everything has dealt with doctrine in the book of Galatians. But now Paul begins to deal with the practical day-to-day -day affairs of the believer. Because we have been set free by Christ. We no longer have to work works in order to secure God's approval and acceptance. In other words, you don't have to be a good person. You don't have to be a great person. You, you don't have to be the latest big contributor to the most charitable cause on the planet or whatever to gain God's approval. God loves you no matter what. So you're not saved by works. The Bible teaches that very clearly. You're not saved by works. But if you have faith in God, that faith is going to be manifested through your works. The Bible That's what the Bible teaches. Meaning that if you are happy in your relationship with God, you're going to manifest good works. You're going to manifest good things. People will be proud of you. Your family will be proud of you. God loves you. The church loves you. You're, just, you're a great person. That's not saving you. It's just a byproduct of being saved. I'd love for everybody to understand that. So we are accepted by God through the work of Jesus on Calvary and his death, burial, and resurrection, which is the gospel. However, there's a critical fact that must be remembered. Again, Christian liberty is not a license. It's very similar to being married. Just because you get married doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want now that you're married. And to all of us tonight, that's stupid. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Brother Murphy. When I got married, I meant for it to be forever with this man or woman, you know, whatever the case may be, and um, till death do us part. And, you know, I never dreamed of cheating and lying and all of that to my spouse and, and not being faithful to my spouse and all of that. So why do we think our relationship with God's any different than that? Why do we think that we can treat God differently than we do our spouse? Uh, it's interesting to me, and, and you ask, you may think, why am I making this comparison? Because the Bible calls us, calls the church the bride of Christ. So if you're a part of the church, you're a part of that bride. And God compares our relationship with him as he does husband and wife. So when you get married, you agree to certain laws and rules and what have you when you get married. I can't imagine there's anybody here tonight that believes any different than that. If you do, you're foolish. Um, and I don't see it manifested a whole lot at Grace Church. I think most of our married couples, they act like married people. They do what married people are supposed to do. I haven't counseled a, a wife lately that's having problems with her husband still going out on dates with ex-girlfriends. I'd go over like a cement cloud, wouldn't it? Um, people, especially our men, I mean, you might push the line a little bit and, you know, there's misbehavior at home, you know, some of our younger husbands playing video games too much or hanging out with his buddies too much or this or that and maybe the wife's going shopping too much and spending most money but after a while especially our men if your wife starts jumping up and down enough about what you're doing you're going to quit it somebody said one time you'll be unhappy with half your stuff <clears throat> that's what that means and 
So I, I'm using that as an illustration tonight because it's true and it's biblical. It's a biblical parallel. Why do we think we can do God any different than that? We have to be faithful. We, we have to be consistent. We have to love God. I'm, I'm coming to a point here in just a moment. So we're not free to sin, and neither are we free to do as we like. True Christian liberty is being free not to sin. It is being free to overcome the passions and urges of the flesh and that unceasingly wage, that, that war that we wage against the better judgment of, of what we know better to do or not to do. The believer is a person who is so conscious of the indwelling Holy Ghost and, and, and the power of the Holy Ghost that he is able to purge himself. And the Bible said, and in the scripture setting I read to you tonight, he's able to purge himself and to actually love his neighbor as much as he loves himself. The point is this. The believer does not walk in sin, for he loves God and he loves his neighbor. The believer walks and lives under the greatest of laws, and that is the law of love. You know why married couples don't cheat on each other? It's not because they're breaking a rule or it's against the law. They don't do that because they love each other. Does that make sense to anybody here tonight? I'd like to hear a little support from somebody here tonight. Y'all, this isn't that hard to understand. And most cheaters, when they're done cheating, the guilt they live with after that is unbelievable for most people, the vast majority of people. So we, we live... As Christian people, the way we live, not because of rules, not because that's what the pastor said, it's because we love God. Period. No other explanation. And oftentimes, as Christian people, we feel like we need to give a reason and some kind of justification for our relationship with God. I want to encourage our young people. When you go to school or whatever, and your friends that don't go to unchurched people ask you why you do all this just say because I love God end of subject I don't have to explain anything else is there any men here tonight that people have asked you throughout your life periodically why did you marry that old ugly nag that you're married to I mean why are you living with that woman it's pathetic why don't you bow up and answer the question I love the old nag. I love her. And you ladies, <laughs> oh my. Everybody men here tonight looked at a picture of you when you were like a teenager. It is encouraging to know that maybe you were kind of good looking at one point in your life. Never forget Marvin Tree said one time, some of you know who's that, who that is, but he said, you're only good looking one time in your life, and that's to get married, and it's downhill after that. And I have to concur with him, absolutely. But you ever wonder why um, there's somebody that, that I raised, is, you know, from birth up to adulthood. Um, she's a female, but I'm not going to mention her name tonight. Uh, but she asked Sister Murphy and I one time on the way home about an elderly couple that attended our church when we were in Baker years ago. And uh, she said, Mom, how does Sister so-and-so kiss brother-and-so? Because he is so ugly. 
And Sister Murphy turned all the way around, looked at her in the back seat and said, Casey? She said, well, he is. <laughs> now, I'm not a judge of pretty men or not. I don't really know about all that. But in this particular case, I kind of had to agree with Casey a little bit. I did. And I would imagine that for this sweet sister, that might have been a heavy cross to bear. And as far as I know, maybe it never even happened. I don't know. But I do know this. Whether they kissed in their old age or not, them two people loved each other dearly. Dearly. Married for years and years and years and never cheated and was always faithful. And they'd have their knockdown drag outs and periodically and all that kind of stuff. And but they still you ask them, why do you live with this person? Why do you wait on this person? Why do you cook for this person? Why, why are you even intimate with this person? And, and why, 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 why? It's one answer. It's all, all, all you need is one answer. Just a few words, and it just takes away the whole argument. It's because I love that person. That's it. That's all you need to say. I would to God tonight that everybody could appreciate our Christian liberty and understand that you live the way you live based on your love for God. Jesus said, and he is so right, he's so right, if you love me, keep my commandments. My translation would be, almost of that would be to, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. If you love me. And I say tonight, and I have to be very careful, but people who don't want to walk in holiness and all that according to the scripture doesn't really love God. At least the way I do. That's a judgment call, and, and that's why I'm hesitant to make it. But I believe if people love God with all of their heart, they're going to do whatever God asks them to do with their life. They'll do it. And it's much like married people. Don't sit there and look at me all wonderful that I'm the, the most wonderful husband. I'm not. And I go places with Sister Murphy that I don't want to go. I go to restaurants with Sister Murphy that I don't even like. She does not like a Chinese food buffet. I love Chinese food buffet. And I never ask her to go with me. If she wants to go, she's welcome. I never ask her to. But I have reached a point in my loving relationship with my wife, and she'll tell you it's true, and there's church people here tonight that knows it's true. I will even offer to take her to the restaurant that she likes that I don't. Why do I do that? Why do you do things for your spouse that you really don't want to do either? I could sit down with any of our married men here tonight for about five minutes, and if I poked around long enough, you'd be telling me all kind of stuff that you do for your spouse that you despise. Someone told me today that I have a to-do list virtually every morning when I get up. And it's with that tone of voice that says, I get so sick and tired of that woman, I just... I just wish one time I could wake up every morning and just do what I want to do. It was said with that. He didn't say that, but it was said with that tone of voice. I discern it. So why do you do it? Why do you do it? I'm trying to add a little bit of humor to this, and rightfully so. But the reason we do what we do is because we love God. Now, second to that, I'm, I'm getting off my notes. I can't see who's back there. Sister Renita. 
I'm getting off my notes, and I'm, I'm done. Y'all are getting the point. Y'all ever, anybody here tonight ever, I, I know Brian has. Um, any of you men bought a lawnmower? He buys heavy equipment uh, for his business. Anybody else bought a lawnmower or something like that? You, you have? Yeah, all those buildings? Have you ever noticed they all come with an owner's manual? Have you ever noticed they always come with an operator's manual? Have y'all ever noticed that? You know why they put that in there? They're not going to assume that the buyer or the consumer knows the parameters of that piece of equipment. What I have smiled at for years, years I've smiled at this. Even when I was a teenager, I even knew better. That people would go to Sears and Roebuck back then and buy a 22-inch push mower, not even self-propel, a push mower, and take it to their house and try to mow three acres with it. I have seen that a thousand times all over. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Raise a show of hands, anybody? Seen people that, it comes with an owner's manual. And if the salesperson is, is, has any talent whatsoever, they'll even ask you. I bought a small riding mower a number of years ago, and the, the sales clerk asked me at Sears, how much property are you moving? And I told her. And she said, well, this would be a great mower. It's a little bit oversized for what you're doing, but it, it, it'll hold up great. And I used that mower for probably 10 years and sold it right after the flood. Great mower. We have to understand in all of our relationships, even with God, there's an operator's manual. Because every bit of this has limits. It has boundaries. It's built for certain things. It's built to do certain things. And marriage, the same is true. Marriage has limits. Do you understand that? Raising kids, there's limits. There's boundaries. And the more those boundaries are defined and you believe and trust in those boundaries, the happier you will be. Does everybody understand that? Kids are happier when there's boundaries. The kids you see here at Walmart, hope it's not any of yours, that are laying in the middle of the floor screaming, at, and I make a quick exit. I just I don't even want to hear any more of it. I've heard it. And you hear them, if you walk around the store, you'll hear it from the time the, the mother walks in until the mother leaves. It's that constant screaming, 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 screaming. It's because that child wants everything it sees, and there's no parameters or boundaries in his life or her life, whatever it is. Kids are happier when there's parameters. They know what they can do and what they can't do, so they're not fighting with themselves, and, and they know there's consequences if they cross certain lines and what have you. We understand that in marriage. There's consequences if you cross marital vow boundaries. There's consequences to that. I could stand up here and give illustration after illustration, you get the point. Why do we think there's not consequences in our not maintaining our relationship with God and staying within biblical parameters, not what we think is right? Folks, we've been given a liberty. We've been given a freedom. It's not to sin. It's to do well, to live right, to live holy unto the Lord. And once we know what those boundaries are, if we stay inside of that, we're happier. When you cross those, then you start to feel convicted. You feel condemned. You don't feel like I belong at church anymore and I feel out of place and what have you. That's why it's so important to maintain our relationship with God. And everybody said amen. amen. It's the law of liberty. It's not a license to sin. It's a license to stop.
So everybody here t tonight, and it was hard, if you were here this past Sunday, if you didn't fall in love with Jesus, no matter how much you loved him last week, if you didn't fall with him, with, in love with him just a little bit more, you need to receive the Holy Ghost again. That's all I would say. Just have a good praying through the Holy Ghost again. But if we want to keep this environment, if we want to keep our, our hearts true, our families true, we have to decide in our mind and heart that we're going to live the law of liberty. We're going to be free within the parameters that the Bible has put around us. And if we can do that as a church, we can grow, we can thrive, and we can convert disciples. We can make disciples, as the Bible teaches, and we can see God do some mighty things. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. I appreciate you being here tonight. <clears throat> I don't know what's all happened all of a sudden with this dismissing at 8.15 to 8.20, but y'all listen to me. I'm not setting a new boundary. This is not becoming a new liberty. Pastor does reserve the right to go to 8.30 like we used to, but I'll not do that tonight. Thank the Lord. You got the point. I could teach another 20 minutes, but you got the point. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you tonight. Let's give the Lord some praise, shall we? He's good. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for being here.